Hello, and welcome to another episode of Buzz and Biz, the Success Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Markey. Thank you for joining. Today, we have Brian Foreman from Tallwood Business Brokers. With further ado, well, without further ado, I will turn it over to Brian. Brian, thank you for joining. Can you give us an intro? Thank you, Steve. I really appreciate the opportunity to be with you. Um, so my background is uh, actually, I'll keep it real high level, logistics degree, business degree, University of Tennessee. First job I ever had was got in a management training program with what is next now FedEx Ground. So I did that 12 years, had a lot of success with it, learned a lot, decided to go full bore, switch gears in life, get into computer software. Started out in sales, I had a high degree of success, I absolutely loved it, and spent the next 30 years in computer technology and ended up running four companies as CEO or president. And along the trail doing that, I had lots of mergers and acquisition experience. Uh, I enjoyed it, I was good at it, and so, I decided after the, the last company I was with was sold twice, I decided to start my own business brokerage again because the transaction side of the business is exciting. And uh, the other key thing is I've had a lot of people help me along the trail and it gives me an opportunity to help entrepreneurs. They spend their entire life building a business and you and I had talked briefly about this. They do very little in thinking about the prep work to sell it because they're so busy build, building it, providing for their family, providing a nurturing business for their employees, that when it comes time to sell it, it's kind of an alien thing that they're not really familiar with. So one of the things that I do is I provide, a, so when an owner gets to that stage where they're thinking about it, I provide a consultation. Uh, what I don't ever, I don't ever try to talk an owner into selling, uh, it's a personal decision and, and they, they know when they're ready, but I, what I try to do is give them good sound advice on what their business needs to look like, what the financials need to look like. I completely explain the total process to them. I try to get them comfortable in an area that they're not comfortable to make sure they understand all the moving parts. And so when they're ready to make a decision, they're prepared, the financials are prepared, the business is buttoned up uh, because at the end of the day, you want to help the owner get the highest fair price in the market. Mm -hmm. uh, one other thing I'll mention that I did, insisted on it. So when an owner chooses to work with a broker, uh, they should ask that they're licensed and they should also ask if, if they're certified. So there's an international group, International Business Brokers Association, it's headquartered outside of Cleveland, and their certification process, process is rigorous. It's tough, and so it's called a, a CBI. I did go through the certification process. It took two years. It's, it's not inexpensive, but the people that commit to that, to the licensing and certification, you've got somebody that's serious about the business, and they're gonna be in a better position to help you. Great. And congrats on your success. Thank if you, you don't mind, Brian, sir, could you elaborate on CBI? Is it a nonprofit? Uh, is there a, a URL we, you could virtually give for the audience? I can. So it's uh, 
IBBA. So IBBA stands for International Business Brokers Association. And if they put IBBA in their browser, they're going to get a hit. There's uh, two pieces. One, I'm a member of it. So they have for members, they have a private website. But for the general public, there's a wealth of information on business brokerage, how to get certified. And uh, again, International Business Brokers Association, it'll pop up probably like, like the first 20 entries. Cool. Will be cool. IBBA. And again, wealth of information on everything. Um, it, it's interesting. I got involved with them early on and it was, it's fantastic because all the professionals that belong to IBBA, especially the ones that are certified, they bend over backwards to help new people come into the space. Um, a lot of room for growth in the industry. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you for that info. And if I may, to do a deeper dive here, and excuse my ignorance, I'm very much a novice when it comes to business transactions. And I think that's okay. I, I, I'm hoping that a lot of folks will uh, receive a, an education today regarding this episode. So when I hear larger organizations, you know, Fortune 1000, blue chip, multinationals, right? I, I hear of transactions where it's some cash and equity or stock, et cetera. Is that the case for smaller businesses? Could you give us a, a bit of your background as far as those transactions? Is it debt? Is it straight up cash? Is it all all over the place? Yeah, yeah I'm asking. That is that is a fabulous question. And so, uh, smaller business trans transactions. So, uh, um, I don't know who coined the term. They're called Main Street transactions. And and if I had to put them in a range. So it would be anything from a very, very, very small business, could be a subway shop, up to $50 million business. And, and it's interesting. So there's a dividing point. There's kind of an area that investment bankers pick up and start doing the transactions. I'll talk about that in a second. But to directly answer your question, I would say a significant portion, 90% of the transactions in the market are done through the SBA. There's a key reason why. If you went to a regular commercial bank, and when I use the term goodwill in a business, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I'll, I'll explain it for the listeners. So goodwill is something that's not tangible. It's value in a business. So tangible assets are machinery, uh, building, uh, hard assets that you can touch, feel, put a value on. Intangible assets or goodwill is uh, inherent value built up in the business through a brand. For example, a dry cleaner that has a fabulous location. They develop clientele that are accustomed to bringing their cleaning in for years and years. And if you had to go lay your hands on hard assets, it would probably be the dry cleaning equipment. So as an example, the business may be worth a million dollars and the hard assets are worth 200,000. That difference, that 800,000 is goodwill. The reason this discussion is important is traditional banks, the traditional bank group, they do, they most of the time, they do not finance goodwill. They want hard assets that if things go south, they can put their hand on and sell. 
that's where the SBA, the Small Business Administration, has played a key role. The SBA does finance these transactions, and at a real high level, keeping it simple, they will invest in companies that have had, you have to have three years of tax returns. They want you to have sustained good growth. And if you do, and you can show an upward trajectory, or at least at a minimum, a healthy business, even if it's plateaued, a healthy business, then the SBA is willing to finance 90% of the transaction. So in the example we gave, a buyer could buy a million dollar business uh, with $100,000 with the SBA financing the balance over, say, hypothetically 10 years. It's a real key thing because there, I would venture to say a a very large number of the total businesses in the U.S., there would be no market for the business without the SBA because traditional banks, again, don't finance goodwill. Great info. And to follow up on that, if I may, is there a limit to how many transactions the SBA would assist either concurrently over or historically, let's say, I have means and I want to formulate a holding company by acquiring multiple businesses. Can you go back to the well, so to speak, with SBA? Do, do you know if that's the case? That's another question. Um, so if you're in good standing with the SBA, which means simply and defaulted on the loan with the SBA, then you can go back to the well. If, if, uh, if you've got the down payment for the business and maybe it's under a different LLC, you could have 20 LLCs uh, or you could have it all under, uh, it might get complicated all under one. I've seen people do multiple LLCs with different businesses where they had the down payment, they were in good standing with the SBA and they had good financials. In other words, they weren't over levering uh, because generally these, the businesses that they're financing support financial ratios that say it's a good business and the, the, the buyer's not over levering. In other words, you're not overpaying for the business. You and I both know you carry too high debt load. It could be a great business, but if the debt load's higher than the income, it's not good for anybody except the seller. As, as, yeah. And as a broker, I, I protect, and I represent buyers also, and I protect the buyers. If a transaction's upside down, I tell them on the front end, I say, you've got to avoid this thing because your debt will kill you. So I guide them away from bad transactions. But yes, your question, you can do multiple, long as you have the finances and you're in good stead with the SBA. Yes. Awesome. And again, I, I apologize for my ignorance, but this is why we're having this conversation, talking about the balance sheet and the financials and everything else. Do you have a, a team? I, I, with your great experience, I, I'm quite certain that you, know, you have some legal background and, and some accounting background, but in essence, do you bring in an attorney and a CPA and, and you know, do you require certain uh, systems like QuickBooks or, or more of a, a, a financial ERP system? But 
or do you advocate that if, from an advisory perspective when it comes tra to transaction time or maybe a couple of years out, you're looking to do that. You, know, you want to have your books more formal, aligned with accounting principles and, and have an attorney that you know ensures private stock shares, all that is in writing. And if right. you could, could you elaborate on, on the process or, or best practices there? I can. So I strongly believe in attorneys and I strongly believe in CPAs. Here's why. Um, yes, I've had, I have a great finance background. I have a great accounting background, but I'm not a CPA. I don't pretend to be a CPA. And I think, so when, when a buyer and or a seller, when you talk about their team, I'm part of the team. I manage the transaction in an odd way. I'm kind of the quarterback. So I make sure everything moves along the right track. I highly encourage both the buyers and the sellers to involve CPAs and, and lawyers. Um, I'm not a lawyer. I don't have a law degree. I don't pretend like I do. I tell both the buyer and the seller on the front end, they should have someone they trust that represents their interest in both categories you mentioned. And I encourage it multiple places along the trail. It is a legally binding transaction. It's typically for a lot of money. It's a big decision and they should, uh, I don't be penny wise and dollar foolish. It's, it's money well spent to make sure the transaction put together properly. Now that said, I do work hand in hand with those professionals. Uh, again, I'm kind of a quarterback. I'm the person in the middle a lot of times moving the puzzle pieces around somebody needs something um, I could it'd probably be worth a quick walkthrough at a very high level on the process so on the very front end I, I consult with the client if it's time to put their business on the market it, or if they think it is it's again their decision so one of the things I do it, every business owner the first thing they want to know is what do you think my business is worth so I do a broker opinion of value I actually take three years of tax returns. I take the PL on the balance sheet. Uh, I subscribe to multiple services for valuations. And so I actually do an analysis to determine the value range of the business. And I take that back to the owner. We talk about all the pieces and we discuss it in depth. And I say, here's what, so virtually every business of any type sells within there's a range where all businesses sell. So if it's, if it's too priced too low, people are wondering what's wrong with it. And if it's priced too high, crickets. Nobody, buyers are savvy, right? No, nobody, nobody in the right mind is gonna grossly overpay for a business. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't I hadn't seen it happen. Um, now, that said, there is a range and you want, you want to price your business. If it's a really good business, you want them priced at the high end, high, high end of the range because it's worth it. If it's, if it's a, if it's a business with a few bumps and bruises on it, maybe it gets priced in the middle or the lower end of the range, but still all businesses, if, if I drew a line where they, there's a little egg in the center of where all those transactions occur. So that, that said, once it's priced, then I develop all the, if, if, if the owner said, let's do it, this is the price, let's put it on the market for that number. I develop the marketing collateral. I canvas my own personal network. 
I subscribe to multiple other networks that are a best fit for that business. We get it out in the public. I'm like a giant screener, huge screener. So on a typical technology transaction, typical, I may get 300 inquiries. The owner may, the owner may hear about 30 of them. We may end up talking to three of them. So the filter process, the owner needs to continue running their business. They don't need to run the transaction. That's what they're paying me for. I generally do that seven days a week. I talk to people late at night. So when, when a business is out in, the, out in the world, people want to talk when they can talk, which is typically when they're off work. So people step up. They make an offer through a letter of intent. I go through that with the owner, anything in writing, the owner sees, uh, the seller sees 100% of every, even if it's ridiculous, everything put in writing, seller gets it, even if it makes it mad, makes them mad because it's a ridiculous offer, I share it, they can reject the offer. Uh, ultimately, what happens is you get down to a, a few good offers, the seller picks the one they want to go with, and it's based on a lot of things that the buyer's ability to make sure they get to close because they can get the funds. Uh, kind of the, the techno technology fit. Sometimes the fit's so beautiful, it, everybody just gets it. There are a lot, of, and because typically it's, it's, it's not unusual for the, the buyer to want the owner to hang around for six months or a year to do a smooth turnover. Some cases, if they're a cash buyer, they may want the owner to hang around forever. Um, so. The, it, once the offer's accepted, I'm kind of the, I'm the person engineering that all the paperwork gets done, all the due diligence documents get from the seller to the, to, to the buyer, get all that done. They go through diligence. They say, we're ready to go. Then we go to close. And, and it's not untypical. So the, so the, uh, the seller will have his, CPA and lawyer, the buyer will have their CPA and lawyer, and there's typically a third party, just like a transaction agent, kind of moving the paper. Mm -hmm. And many times it's a lawyer. Right. It de depends on the state, and then it's closed. Cool. And typ typical deal takes six months, six to seven months. Okay, great, great. Well, thanks for the, the info and the detail there. If you don't mind, Brian, and excuse me if this is out of left field, but we're, we talked about the small U.S. Small Business Administration, SBA, right. almost uh, speaking for myself, assuming it's a domestic transaction. What if it's international, whether it's an international company acquiring a U.S.-based company or U.S.-based acquiring a company outside the States? Is the SBA still a resource within that scenario? Okay. Well, again, I'm gonna. Here's my disclaimer. I'm not a lawyer. Right. I'm not a not an international transaction lawyer. But there have been instances where, uh, if it's a U.S. entity buying the business, you know, it's whether it's an LLC, a C corp, an S corp, whatever. The then the the S the SBA is servicing U.S. businesses. So a transaction that could come, could come from a foreign entity. Um, you know, it's interesting. See, and, and there are a lot of those that could occur. 
Uh, I'm, I'm not aware of any that have gone the other way. Matter of fact, I don't think SBA would be involved in reverse if okay. the U.S. entity were, were selling to, I don't think a foreign entity is, ap, is can apply for and use an SBA. Here's what I don't know, I'm not a lawyer. If I'm a US, if I'm a US citizen and I'm in London, and I want to do a transaction, I think the first thing the SBA would ask is where is the business going to be incorporated? Right. And I think if they say England, I think they're going to go, can't help you. Right. Yeah. Self-interest and all, right? Yes. Yeah. But, but again, I would defer to a lawyer. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, no worries. Thank you. And as a follow-up to that, to our, our listeners, what trials, tribulations, pearls of wisdom could you offer as we may have some folks who, who've had that family business for multiple generations now? Uh, what, do, do you have any scenarios or stories you could give us about that when, you know, whether it's a family farm or like you said, a, a franchisee or, or a, an independent restaurant, etc. Right. Well, so uh, we touched on this at the, um, at the very beginning, and I want to make sure I answer the question you just asked, but I'm, I'm kind of intentionally not going to answer it right away, and then I will. Sure. Uh, we got time. <laughs> okay, so in COVID, so things were pretty crazy good uh, in the business brokerage world, in the residential real estate world, and I also have my uh, commercial real estate license. Everything was good kind of everywhere. And what switched in COVID is the retail, the retailers got clubbed. Yeah. And it's, it's not that they're not good businesses because they are. They, they've been dealt with this odd anomaly in our life that we're all going through that has created challenges for the business. And, and by the way, I think SBA needs to be vastly more sympathetic to that as well for, for an absolute fact. If you, if you look at underlying statistics on the number of businesses that are retail, trust me, we can't afford to be without them. We'll have a much bigger problem. So I think the SBA and our senators and our legislatures can do a lot better job of making sure the SBA is empowered to help those people. A simple example would be if I'm trying to sell a restaurant and I'm levered up here because the market used to be, I took out loans and everything up here, but I want to sell it, not close it because I've got tables, chairs, inventory, build out, but they're still carrying the high levered out number. So maybe the owner wants to sell it. If SBA's answer is we're not going to finance that with somebody that wants to bring new money in to ensure it's healthy. Look, New York, New York is an absolute horror story. If that's what they tell every single restaurant, I'll guarantee you thousands of them have SBA loans. If they don't let some new money step in and recognize that this is a historical anomaly, where are you going to eat in New York? And I'm taking a tiny example. So what happened with COVID? I'm taking this somewhere. 
Sure, sure. COVID created winners and losers. Anything dealing with transport is an off the chart winner. Uh, people in record numbers are having stuff dropped at their house. Less, they're less shopping in the store because they can't get in or they don't want to take a chance on catching COVID. So they ordered and it's dropped at their step. Transit's been on fire. Who? FedEx, Amazon, they, they've been inundated. Fabulous businesses now. Um, technology has been on fire. I've, it's interesting. I, so I spent my whole life in it. I thought technology would take, a little, take it on the chin a little bit. Exact opposite happened. Quality of my calls went up. The volume of the calls went up. It's been incredible. It's in a boom time now, and I don't think it's an artificial boom time like we saw in 2004. I, I think it's real um, because the technology of, you know, in, in 2004, we had a lot of pretend technology. I'm talking about solid companies, great revenue streams, and the market for them just went through the roof. So the point is there have been, COVID has created some massive winners that have taken huge upticks and it's taken, uh, it's created some companies that are businesses that are going to be great businesses again, and they're getting hit on the chin. And I think as a country, I hope people wake up because if they don't, New York, or it's not, I'm just picking on the, I'm not really picking on New York, but they'll wake up one day and there's nowhere to eat. And nobody in New York cooks. And I lived in Washington, D.C. 10 years. Nobody cooks there either. <laughs> So if all the restaurants get shut down because we were kind of had blinders on, then we're going to have a problem. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so um, now I know you're back to your question. <laughs> there, there were winners and losers created. I mentioned a, a few of the winners. Uh, there's some businesses that are more solid than ever. Yeah, I'll tell you right now. And I live in Nashville. Residential construction has gone crazy. I mean, it's it's a it's a boom town, and other there are other market areas like that also. So all the supply companies to that market they're booming. Good, good. Starving dogs and fat cats, right? Just uh, the market economics, right? It's well, exactly. great. Yes, sir. Well, thank you, Brian. As we wrap up here, do you have any last statements or prophecies you want to give? Well. Uh, I, so from business brokerage standpoint, I think the market is super healthy. It's been very strong. Um, it, my, my number one advice would be make sure you deal with somebody that's it's licensed and, and has gone through the certification process. Oh, one little helpful thing. It's Business brokerage is a little bit like the wild, wild west, the early days of realtors. And so the regulation and the, the control of it is coming on strong now. Uh, but there are people in the market that just say, I'm going to do that. So I think that's to the, to the buyer needs to be aware. Make sure you're dealing with somebody reputable that knows what they're doing. Because after all, you're selling something in many cases that the owners work their entire life building you want to make sure it's represented well by somebody that knows what they're doing. Awesome. Well, thank you, Brian. And this is Steve Markey, your host for Buzz and Biz, the success podcast. Thank you for your time and listening.
Till next. Bye. Thank you.